of the biblical cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? In today's scientific community, many biblical locations have been unearthed. But what about these cities that God destroyed? Have they really been found? And if so, where are they? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics the defense of the Christian faith. In today's episode of Evidence and Answers, Pat will continue on with his interview with leading scholar Dr. Eugene Merrill as they conclude this fascinating discussion of the location of Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's Pat now with the conclusion. Chronologically or time-wise, there's a difficulty there, but what about geographically? Is this location in the right place? I understand. Oh, I, I, it, I like it location. More south. Oh, you do? <laughs> I like his location. That's the trouble. Uh, if I just didn't like his location and everything else, I'd be the end of the matter. But when I say I like it, I don't mean that I'm persuaded that that's the right place. But I think he makes some excellent points in regard to its location. For example, uh, where the Hebrew term that's used to describe the location of the cities of the plain is the uh, Kirkar Haryadain, that is the circle of the Jordan. Steve has showed that uh, where the Jordan flows into the into the uh, Dead Sea, there is a, a kind of a circular plain there of alluvium that's been deposited over the hundreds of thousands of years and uh, making a kind of a semicircular shape. And uh, Kirkar does mean circle. It means a rounded sort of thing. And uh, so the circle of the Jordan, that fits very, very nicely. But on the other hand, if you go down to the south end of the Dead Sea, you've got precisely the same thing, uh, where you have uh, the outflow. Uh, well, not there's no outflow, but you have an inflow from the south of the uh, Zared River and uh, a couple of other wadis that flow into the uh, Dead Sea from the south. But you end up also with, uh, with a kind of a uh, estuary at the south end that looks very much like the one at the north end. Now, the problem is, why is it called the Kirkar Haryadain, the circle of the Jordan, if it's located 40 miles or so south of where the Jordan empties into the Dead Sea. So you see, that's, that's I think, in, that sort of favors Steve's point of view. I have visited all these places. I have visited Vabathra and Numera numerous times, and I've been very, very convinced of the uh, fact that the cities of the plain were down there. We have a lot of salt formation down that way that is not found in the north end of the Dead Sea. And the Bible makes a lot of the story of Lot's wife turning to salt, which I think just means encased in salt, and, and so forth. And the potash uh, extractions uh, are all at that end, of the, uh, uh, that end of the Dead Sea, a lot of mineral content there. And furthermore, there's a cemetery nearby, uh, nearby um, Babithra, with uh, well over a thousand burial spots, and of course there must have been a lot more than that in the passing of time in the past, but but that's uh, a sort of interesting too, and that goes back uh, to the uh, early part of the Middle Bronze Age, according to the archaeologists who have, uh, who have worked in that region. So uh, I still hold to the view that the southern location is best, but I have to admit there are there are some uh, good points to be made of the northern location and probably a few uh, negatives in regard to the southern location. 
So this other sites, Tal El Hamam is, I believe, northeast of the Dead Sea. But this one, Bab Edra, is southeast of the Dead Sea, further south. So That's you, correct. You favor this site, Bab Edra, as being the, a more likely site that this is indeed Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, it, it has an ancient tradition, for whatever that's worth. That is, and, and we can't dismiss it. You know, the people of uh, the ancient Near East and the people of the modern Middle East, are they, they pass so much down orally and even in writing, but the Bedouin people, the Arab people, tribal people, can recite their genealogies for hundreds of years. When they say that this marked a certain place of biblical times and this and that, I think we need to pay some attention to it. Almost always, when a, um, a biblical uh, site has been found, then on top of it will be found an Arab site, uh, you know, quite often with a roughly similar name. For example, uh, Heshbon is called in Arabic Hespan, and there's been a place called Hespan forever, and that rests on the ruins of ancient Heshbon. And uh, same thing with Amman. Amman, Jordan, is called Rabat Amon uh, in Hebrew in David's time, and now it's Amman because it's Arabic. And so the, the newer Arabic culture was built over the ancient Ammonite culture, and, and, but the name is very, very similar to uh, what the ancient name was. And so if the Arab tradition, and don't forget, they, uh, they hold the, the Old Testament in very high esteem, uh, just as we do, and uh, they, they know of Abraham, they know of Lot, they know of the story of the destruction of the cities, and they have historically, uh, down through the ages, maintained that those places in the south end are the proper locations of, uh, of the cities of the plain. And I think that carries a lot more weight than a lot of archaeologists want to give it. So what this discovery at Tal el-Hammam, then this city here that was destroyed, they think, by some kind of volcanic activity, if it's not Sodom and Gomorrah, what do you think this is, this discovery here at Hammam? Well, that's, that's a very good question. There are some places that are named in the Old Testament in regard to the, first of all, of the arrival of the Israelites at that site uh, when uh, Moses was still uh, living. Yeah, you recall that the book of Deuteronomy opens with uh, Moses giving an address uh, to the people of Israel, and he's there in the plains of Moab. So he's clearly right in the region uh, where uh, uh, this Hammam is located and uh, where he addresses uh, the throngs of people. And I would think that's an ideal spot because there is a lot of flat land there, and he could gather a big crowd in, in quite a, uh, an area there. And then he ascends up to Nebo at God's command, and there, of course, he has the last look of the uh, promised land, and, and God uh, takes him, buries him someplace. But in any case... Um, there are places mentioned in connection uh, with that story of uh, Moses there and also Joshua as they get ready to cross into uh, uh, straight across over to uh, uh, Jericho and so forth. And um, uh, they, they, there's a place called Shittim, S-H-I-T-T-I-M, Shittim. And, uh, and these places have never been located yet, and I've forgotten the names of some of the others right now, but there are three or four other place names that are mentioned in connection 
with that region at the time of the conquest, and uh, but they've never been located. And I think that perhaps uh, Dr. Collins has found one of these ancient places, and in my view has erroneously uh, identified it as, uh, as uh, Sodom, when maybe it ought to be identified as, uh, as one of these other sites. I see. Now, going back to Bab the site you feel might more likely be Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, besides the Arabic tradition, what other evidence is there that this is indeed Sodom and Gomorrah? Has, does it have the fiery destruction evidence as stated in the text in Genesis 19? Well, it does. However, um, it's been my experience when I've been there that I was looking for that kind of thing. Now, I've not done any excavating, of course, but both Babadra and Numera have been just excavated uh, almost down to bedrock. And um, so I think a lot of the uh, stuff that might have uh, provided some kind of evidence has probably been uh, been swept away by unscientific uh, archaeological work, you know, hundreds of years ago. I just was sort of looking for treasure and that sort of thing. So it's a... a a badly misused sites. Both of them were before they were systematically excavated. And uh, but no, I, I I don't think there is much of any evidence of um, of um, of ash or anything like that. Uh, there is uh, evidence of mass destruction of some sort. But I have to plead somewhat uh, ignorant. I think of um, the full history of the of the archaeology of the site there. I need to do some more homework on that one. <laughs> you know, Genesis 14 says that the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits. Yes. You know, exactly what are those, and, and can we find evidences of that there in that area? Oh, yes. This is a kind of a tar, and it is, uh, you know, a, a petroleum product. And it's very interesting how that in well, off the coast of Israel right now, some major finds are being made of natural gas and and uh, and oil, and uh, and I think that a lot of geologists are now beginning to, petroleum geologists are beginning to realize that uh, Israel and Jordan and that area could be sitting on you know oceans of oil, and uh, of course that would be a wonderful thing for for Israel if that should prove to be the case, but. The fact that this word that's used uh, uh, to uh, speak of the uh, bitumen and so on of that region is the same kind of word that is used uh, in the uh, East Semitic language or Akkadian language or Assyrian and Babylonian languages to uh, speak of uh, similar deposits that are found in Iraq today in ancient texts. And we're told that when Noah built uh, the boat, it... uh, it uh, was pitched within and without, with pitch, you know, as a normal translation, which must have been some kind of an asphalt or some kind of a petroleum product. Yes, uh, there is evidence, increasingly so, of uh, the very great likelihood of petroleum reserves, uh, which I guess have not been um, uh, exploited yet because uh, they feel that the amount of cost and effort that would go into it would not, uh, to this point, uh, yield enough uh, profit to make it worthwhile, uh, so I've heard. And, of course, (laughs) you 
you have to be careful what you hear about these things as well as you do about sensational finds in archaeology. That's sort of my my understanding of it. It is a mineral-rich area, no question, uh, as modern mining of potash and so on would, would make crystal clear. And uh, these deposits are valuable to both Israel and Jordan. And uh, and also, you may be aware of the tremendous uh, deposits of copper that have been found now in the region of Petra, in that, that area. The question always used to be, where did the... Uh, uh, people of ancient times, including the Israelites, get the copper they needed to make to make bronze. Well, say nothing of tin, but uh, they have found now considerable deposits of copper there. I'm not referring to Solomon's uh, copper mines, which is a different place, but this is in the Transjordan. Uh, smelting plants have been found uh, where the uh, uh, metal was uh, smelted and made into usable copper material, and then through imported tin, they could make a, uh, huge amounts of bronze that we read about in the Old Testament. So there's more there than, and, it, and increasingly uh, is coming to light uh, of a mineral nature. I see. Now, what about the other surrounding cities? Have we found them? For example, Lot uh, asked to go to the city of Zoar and yes, uh, to Zohar, escape there. Have we found any of those in that area? There is a site which is still called by that name and has been for the centuries, uh, which incidentally I think would lend also some uh, support to the uh, Sodom and Gomorrah being in the in the southern region. But uh, the furthest uh, the tip of the Dead Sea, there's a uh, stream that flows into the Dead Sea at that point. And up the that stream a little bit on the banks of the stream is uh, uh, a ruin called uh, at least be called uh, in biblical times Zoar. It's a modern name, Zaire, something like that in Arabic, but it would be the same place. Uh, so there is a place name like that right now, has been that that way for forever, and uh, I, I think most scholars are agreed that um, whether they believe, you know, actually in the biblical account in every detail, but they say, well, uh, this must be the Zohar of the biblical tradition, you know, they use a word like that. So I, I think uh, that one. But then you've got a couple others um, that uh, have not been uh, located yet. One other point that uh, I might make here, maybe your listeners have heard of the uh, discovery of um, Ebla. Yes. Uh, yeah. Ebla, Tel Mardik, yes, in Syria, uh, dating back to about 23. 300 or so B.C., even 200 years before Abraham's time by the early yes. date. And uh, some uh, inscriptions there mention uh, some of these cities of the plain in uh, far-off Canaan, the same names that we find in the Bible. And so there you have a textual support. Now, the, the trouble is these uh, Ebla tablets don't say exactly where, <laughs> where these cities are, so they're not helpful to what we're talking about right now. But the fact that they were uh, recognized as actual historical sites has been greatly, greatly supported by these uh, these Ebla tablets. Yeah, these Ebla tablets were thousands of ancient tablets were discovered oh, yes. there. Some Great of the most ancient writings, right? Well, Dr. Merrill, you know, I'm not sure if this is a fair question to ask you, but on a scale of 1 to 10... Uh, where would you be on that scale that Babidraw is indeed Sodom and Gomorrah? 
I say, don't quote me, but if I say it, I don't need to be quoted because I'll be saying it. <laughs> well, let's say, oh, six and a half. Six and a half, okay. Yeah, six and a half. <laughs> well, you know, from what I understand, only 10% of really what is out there has been discovered by modern archaeology. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. There's still a absolutely. ton to be discovered. Oh yes, and uh, and and the situation is even worse in other parts of the Middle East, for example, Iraq and places like that. The figure is much lower, uh, much lower. But even so, the last I heard from some reputable Israeli source is that uh, yeah, I, I think perhaps uh, ten, ten to fifteen percent of all the possible sites were occupied. We'll say in pre-Christian times, certainly uh, uh, times uh, back to the age of David and earlier, a very small percentage have ever been found. There are too many places. Let me rephrase this. There are so many places that there aren't enough diggers available to uncover them. There, it's just an impossible task right now, and it's very expensive to field a a team of, uh, of archaeologists, very, very expensive. And besides that, a lot of places have been built on by highways, by cities. You just can't dig up Tel Aviv and look for stuff. And uh, who knows what's underneath uh, a lot of places that are currently inhabited and other places that uh, clearly give the appearance of being a tell or a ruin of some ancient sort. There's just no, no funds available to to even find out, to, to do much of any exploration. Yeah, who knows? Only God knows and uh, what can be found beneath the ground there. I think we've just begun, pardon the little pun here, just to scratch the surface, what might be there. Well, that, that's amazing. You know, with only perhaps 10% discovered how much it matches with the biblical accounts. I don't know any other ancient religious book that has so much archaeological no. confirmation no. as the Bible. It's incredible. That's right. Yeah. And what few geographical and historical references are made in the Quran, uh, most of them are wrong. And, um, and to use just one example of a, of, a, of a holy book, as it were, and as I said, kind of at the beginning of the interview here, I honestly, and I want to be as honest as I possibly can be, I don't know of one instance of a place that uh, is mentioned in Scripture or an event that's been mentioned in Scripture that has been overthrown by archaeological evidence. Not one. I find that nothing short of miraculous. Yes, and that, you know, this comes from a man who's been studying this for decades, and Dr. Merrill's articles have received great respect, not only in the Christian community, but in the secular community community as well, even in the Middle East, where he has lectured and taught as well. Well, Dr. Merrill, you know, as we bring this to an end, what lessons did God want to teach us from the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, that's what it's about. We can talk about uh, archaeology and all of this, and it's, it's interesting and important. But I think the question at the end of the day has to be, so what? The so what question, to me, is the most important question to be asked about the Bible and about archaeology. After I have looked at a biblical text carefully and think I have the meaning and uh, all of this, then the question, so what? 
And so what means, what does it mean in the ultimate scheme of things? Why is it in the Bible? And I am convinced there's not a sentence in the Bible that was not intended by the Spirit of God to be there. Every sentence has a message. And it's up to us to try to discover by God's blessed Holy Spirit and the use of brain power and uh, the best we can to discover what the text means. Now, I would say in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, I don't want to sound like an alarmist. There are plenty of reasons to be alarmed. But I think in our culture, our society, when I hear the horrible things that are being done, when infants, unborn fetuses, as the world likes to call them, when their body parts are being separated from their little bodies and sold as so much merchandise, can we claim to be any better than Sodom and Gomorrah? You remember Jesus said that if the things that, uh, if, if Sodom and Gomorrah had heard the message that Jesus preached to the cities of his own time, they would have repented long ago. And I think what Jesus was saying was the situation in his day was worse than it was in the days of Sodom. And if that's true, think how much worse it is today. Our nation better, we better get on our knees before Almighty God says, I've had enough. And we know the day of judgment is coming. We don't want to preach it because we don't want to think about it. But it's coming. And America, and we as American people, we better repent of our sin. Our God is going to do a mighty work of destruction, just as he did a mighty work of creation. Yes, you know, you're echoing the words of Billy Graham, who said, if God does not judge America, he, he'll have to render an apology to Sodom yes. and Gomorrah. That's and, well said. And Sodom and Gomorrah was a city of, what, several hundred or, or a few thousand people? Well, yeah, I would, yes. Compared uh, they, to the United States, which they're is... They're large sites, yes. Yeah, well, yeah, but, but, uh, but they're not much, that large. <laughs> yeah, but much smaller than the oh, United absolutely. States, which is uh, over oh, 100 million. Goodness, yes. So Yeah, 300 we, million, yes. Yeah, so... Oh, yes, we... we we are rapidly becoming paganized and secularized and humanized, and and God is being shoved off into the corner someplace. And you know, our God cannot be trifled with. Uh, he's a God of patience, but not infinite patience. He tells us that himself. And uh, he's a God of infinite grace and love, but not infinite patience. And the time will come when he will say, that's enough. And yeah. we need to pray that our that our people will be ready. Yes, you know, if God judged the smaller cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, imagine the judgment he would have for a, a large nation like the United States and others. That's right. So you give us a great warning there. Well, Dr. Merrill, if people want to find out more information about you and the things that uh, you are researching and writing on, is, is there somewhere they can go to find more articles and information by you? Well, you just Google me. <laughs> I'm Googleable, whatever that might mean, but uh, I don't have a blog. I don't do a blog or anything like that, so I don't have my own little website. But, yeah, I, I can be reached on uh, on Google or any of the search engines like that. Of course, uh, Amazon's a good place to find what I've written in terms of books. 
if people want to know about me, they can they can find out without my saying a whole lot about it. <laughs> Let it go with that. <laughs> okay. Well, our guest has been Dr. Eugene Merrill, Distinguished Professor of Old Testament Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary, where he taught for many years, and the Criswell Bible College. And he's an author of numerous books and scholarly journals and articles. One of his best-known books that is used in schools all over the world still is Kingdom of Priests. They're a history of the Old Testament. And so, Dr. Merrill, uh, thanks for being on the show with us and the tremendous insight you gave us on not only Sodom and Gomorrah, but biblical archaeology as well. Well, thank you for the, for the privilege of, um, of being able to speak on these things. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, click on that Donate button on the lower right-hand side of our homepage. That's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.